Hey, what's up? This is episode 072, Focus 40. We are talking to a curious human. Let's do it. Welcome to the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show where we think, learn, and explore the product mindset so you can design better products every day. And now your host, Karthik. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Design Your Thinking podcast and this is another Focus 40 episode. I'm so so happy to be bringing another fresh guest, someone who I I have been following for a quite a while and she is someone who makes products but also teaches and writes books well she doesn't write the regular books alone but she also wrote something called as a tiny book she calls herself a curious human and in this in the due course of this conversation that you're about to hear she talked about a lot of things including how she manages her time and how we can get to manage our time and also she talks about how she uses physical objects more to make herself more productive you will hear her views across this episode and the one to follow which is episode 73 so without much ado let me go ahead and introduce you to today's guest our guest has helped grow companies like linkedin yahoo zynga and the new york times and numerous startups throughout silicon valley she's the author of 101 thesis on design the upcoming product market fit and the business fable book radical focus which uses the power of story to build a new approach to okrs she currently teaches at california college of the arts and stanford's continuing education program she speaks worldwide about humanity teamwork and the journey to excellence let's welcome christina watki Christina, welcome to the show and thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's great chatting. Excellent. So, Christina, I first came across your profile and the first thing I did was to take a look at your LinkedIn profile, which I'm sure a lot of us do. And when I looked there uh, to understand what you really do, you just had one uh, your couple of words that are saying curious human. And <laughs> and uh you know, uh you know, I I don't know. I bumped into this book that you've written, the tiny book, and you seem to do be doing a lot of, you know, drawing, and you seem to be teaching and also helping people make products. What do you really do, Christina? Let's well, bust the myth. I think I think that's a terrible question and a wonderful question. Um, the reason I ended up picking Curious Human for my title is because it has. two meanings. So first mm-hmm. of all, I am incredibly curious, but also it means peculiar. And I don't think I fit very well into any expectations of what you're supposed to do. I certainly followed that for a while. Um, you know, I started uh in the web in the in the 90s like uh, you know, people like Peter Merholtz and Jesse James Garrett, um mm-hmm. we all hung out and said, "What is this web thing and what are we going to do about it?" And then I took a moderately regular approach you know i taught myself html i was a uh, a programmer for a little while i became an early information architect i became an interaction designer i became a design manager uh i started a consulting company which then became a product company which got bought by linkedin then i went on and become a general manager at myspace and zynga 
And this is the classic, you know, climb to the top, I guess. Um, but I found it rather miserable and unpleasant. You know, I think a lot of designers think that if I can just get one level higher, I'll finally be able to tell people what to do. But the reality is that when you start getting to be management, it gets even harder and harder to do the things you really care about. There are so many pressures. You've got your boss, you've got your business. Um, and so I kind of went sideways and I decided maybe I would try to figure out how to make the world better in a non-traditional way. And so um, I'm curious, like, why, why do things suck? Why do things, why are things not as good as I think they should be? And I think a lot of other designers think they should be. Mm-hmm. And so um, as I slowly figure it out, whether it be something as, you know, business MBA-ish as OKRs or something as touchy-feely, squishy as drawing, I don't really care. The only question is, is it making things better? And then through my teaching, I have these amazing smart students who hold me to a higher standard, help me figure out how to explain these ideas, help test them. And then they teach me certainly as much as I teach them. And I've found that this is a really satisfying course for my life, you know, Hmm. making things better a little bit, as opposed to trying to be some big, important person with a fancy title. (laughs) That's, that's the nice way of putting it, uh, Christina. So, you know, let's let's jump right into the show. Um, let's talk about your success and thinking. You you know you've been working with a lot of product teams. You've been teaching students, and um, and you do a, a lot of consulting um, with companies. So, what is the one thing that's made you successful as this uh, product maker uh, that you are today, Christina? Well. I'm going to tell you a, a Richard Saul Worman story. I think everybody has a Richard Saul Worman story if you've ever met him. So one day I was at the IA Summit when he was speaking, and I think it was about four years ago or so, five years. And he's sitting around in the lobby with a bunch of people sitting around him. And I don't know if you know, but he founded TED, a rather successful conference. Mm-hmm. And I've put on a couple conferences myself, and I thought, I'll ask him, what does it take to make a great conference? Hmm. And he just looks at me and says, I can't tell you. I'm like, oh, this guy really is a jerk. I had heard that. But he wasn't. He said, I can't tell you because you would have to follow me around for weeks. He said, I choose the chef. I choose the menu. I have music composed. I have the furniture designed. This is a guy who has never gone to a hotel and taken the package deal. This is a guy who will never serve you, you know, the the airline breast of chicken and the salmon. He will not accept the the chairs that have been tied together. Mm-hmm. And it kind of blew my mind because I realized now how many things do we take for granted as a given? So when I go into a consult engagement or a class, I kind of do everything the hard way, a little bit, I think, like Richard Saul Werman would. I ask why is this the way it is? What can we really not move and what could we move? Are we thinking about it the right way? Um, I tend to question very, very, very deeply, especially when I see an assumption. I can't help but dig. Why do we know this? Is it really true? Was it true five years ago and has it changed now? Or was it not true five years ago and now is finally the moment where it's going to happen? So I don't do this in a pushy way. Mm -hmm. Um, When I work with my clients, um, or if I'm interviewing users, I do it in a, you're the most fascinating person in the world, please tell me more way, Mm -hmm. you know, listening, 
gently asking questions, getting people to unfold things, and then questioning a little bit more. I've noticed that in this world, um, people are hungry to be listened to. And if you're genuinely listening to them, people aren't offended by your questions. They've been waiting for you to ask them. And through that, I can build a deep, meaningful relationship with my clients, but also find out what is the lay of the land, what really is possible. And this leads to very useful innovations, sometimes big ones, sometimes tiny ones. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I really like the way you put it. So, um, you know, as the, as these, you know, makers that we are, um, you, you are constantly, you know, helping teams make a lot of decisions, uh, deciding on features, you know, understanding the, 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 the reasons why we are building what we're building. And, and of course, um, making, uh, helping, you know, things move from where we are to the next step. So how do you really manage to stay productive amidst this milieu of different things that you end up doing on a day-to-day basis? Hmm. That is such a good question. Um, Because I'm a curious person, a curious human, um, Mm -hmm. I have shiny object syndrome. I have to tell you, like, I'm happy to spend three hours looking up board game mechanics and trying to figure out what's the difference between card drafting and deck building games. I mean, no rabbit hole is uninteresting to me. It's terrible. Um, I think the world is an amazing place, and I want to look at all of it. So I've had to invent some ways to build little fences around my curiosity. So um, the simplest one is I. you probably know about the Pomodoro method. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a variation of that. I have these big cube timers on my desk. They're square. They look like dice, and they have different amounts of time on them. And so any time that I sit down in front of the computer, I set a timer, and it's just a question. So if it's a work length of time, I'll give myself 20 to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going on Facebook, I'll only give myself five minutes. Um, I'll open it up, and when the timer goes off, I close it. And that way, I'm sure that I'm always going back and forth between following interesting paths and coming back to actual work. Hmm. On a much larger scale, um, I have OKRs, personal OKRs, which Mm -hmm. are uh, short objectives and key results. So every single quarter, I set an objective for myself. Um, And it might be that I want to work on a new book, or it might be that I want to get in better shape, you know, a personal OKR is a personal OKR. It just depends what I think my life needs at that time. Mm-hmm. And every single Monday, I set tasks against that objective, just three of them, you know, baby mm-hmm. steps every week. And uh, I send them to a coach. I have a, uh, I have a professional coach who keeps me honest. We all need somebody to keep us honest, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, will, will is overrated. It's hard to have willpower. I find it much <laughs> easier to have somebody yell at you. And so I send it to her, and then I look over my calendar, and I schedule non-work times. Many people use a calendar just to schedule meetings. Mm-hmm. I schedule work. I'll set aside this two hours is going to be for working on the book, or this two hours is going to be for grading. And I have not a single empty part of my calendar from 8.30 in the morning until 5 p.m. However, mm-hmm. come 5 p.m., it's wide open. If I want to sit in front of the fire and read a book, if I want to go for a long walk. Um, I think we need structured time and unstructured time and we need to balance it out. But I got to say, if you're if you're like me and you're curious and you think the world is full of amazing things, then you need something, man. You need something. <laughs> you know, 
you know, the, the minute you started to talk about, um, you know, the shiny object syndrome, this is a weakness that I've uh, been battling with and I continue to do that. Uh, in fact, when you set Pomodoro timer, um, you know, I, I have a Pomodoro on my Mac and I, the problem I have with that is it's hardly do I remember to turn it on. So, yep. you know, that's the biggest thing. So I have to have a rem- reminder to turn on the Pomodoro. So if it goes on, then the flow goes on. But then the turning on the Pomodoro takes the, I don't know, I've tried a lot of hacks, but seldom works. So This is why digital sucks. You need this big, square, physical cube timer. It makes such a difference. It's literally just sitting here next to my mouse. It's so big, I can't miss it. And I now have trained myself that anytime I'm like, oh, I should go on Wikipedia, immediately my hand goes to the timer and flips it to a 10. And Mm. it's that physicality of actually flipping it that builds the habit. Um, one of the struggles we have with digital is um, it's not we we learn with our bodies, not just mm-hmm. with our mind. It's part of co- distributed cognition. So a lot of digital things just aren't effective. For example, I was talking to my friend who's who works over at Google, mm-hmm. and she was talking about a project they're doing, and they're trying to figure out how to get the same levels of retention from digital books as physical books. And it turns out the way our brain works mm-hmm. is. When we have a physical book, it's literally building a map. It's using the same part of our brain that mm-hmm. helps us map out forests for hunting, a very old part of our brain. Mm-hmm. And so we hook in the information in the book to the physical locations of the book, top of the page, middle of the book, physical locations. But digital doesn't have any physical locations, so we have significantly lower retention from reading digital. And she told me this about two or three years ago, at which point I now read fiction digitally, so I'll forget it so I can read it again, mm-hmm. and nonfiction physically so I can remember it. But knowing physical hacks allows us to overcome problems. It's never you. It's not your willpower. You're just not doing things in the most um, effective way. I love these cube timers. I, yeah. I'll send you a link. They're, they're, they're magical. Beautiful. And I don't know. I mean, we as we get talking, we talk about a lot more interesting things. And this digital versus physical books, again, that's a, a great point that you made because I've been struggling with my Kindle reading as well. So, uh, and, and of course, Kindle books don't come with nice pictures. That's another problem. Uh, so you talked about, um, you know, uh, the way you keep yourself productive using the cube timer, which is a great way of doing it. Um, in fact, I had one question before I forget. I should ask you this. You talked about having a coach. Is there a way you went about yes. choosing a coach? Uh, did you uh, go, um, do you have a life coach or is it like, a, you, do you hire a coach to, for a professional uh, you know, activity? How does it go? And, and where did you go about finding one? Or how did you do it? So um, when I very first thought about getting a coach, it was because I was no longer working in a corporate world. And I was worried about not having any structure. You know, you don't have a boss, you don't have deadlines, how would I ever get anything done? So I decided to look for a professional coach, because I didn't really believe in the life coach thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked around, and a friend of mine recommended this woman, um, and I met her, and I loved her, and I wanted to hire her, and she said, no. Mm-hmm. She said, you have to interview two more coaches, and then if you still want to hire me, you can hire me. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh my God, she's already coaching me. This is the best coach <laughs> ever. But I went out, and... Um, I asked more people, I went on LinkedIn, I found um, 
one person who was through a reference and one person I just found on LinkedIn um, and met them. And in the end, I did go back to that first coach. She was just amazing. She teaches at uh, the Graduate School of Business. And that's another thing that I think is um, a nice quality is are they part of something that you believe in? Um, so that was good. But just talking to her, did we have a connection? Did she understand what I was trying to do? I think it's sort of like finding a dentist or finding a psychologist. We, we have a tendency to just pick the first person who shows up, and mm-hmm. they're, they're not always the person who can actually help us. So I'm glad she made me shop around a little bit. Um, of course, I live in Palo Alto where there's a lot more coaches on the ground here because, mm-hmm. you know, we're all groovy stuff here in California. <laughs> but um, I, found, I've, I found it's been invaluable to have somebody who is a thinking partner for me. And then we've been, she's been coaching me since I left Singa. So that would have been three or four years ago. And it's been, it's been an incredible journey. Um, It's very different than having say um, a counselor, because instead of talking about your mother, your father, your boyfriend, you're just really saying, how am I going to get things done? Mm -hmm. How am I going to move my life forward? How do I achieve my greatest goals? And you have somebody there to talk it through, um, to think it through with you. And then, like I said, you know, I send her my uh, my weekly P1s, the tasks that I want to mm-hmm. do each week. And if I don't send it, she's like, where's your priorities? Um, mm-hmm. One time I got an amazing job offer, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And she actually said, well, you said your goals were this. How is this job offer going to help you meet your goals? And I realized... I was so impressed with the name and the salary that I almost took a job that would have made me miserable. Mm-hmm. And that's another advantage of a coach is someone who can remind you, remember, you said you wanted this. Has that actually changed or not? So I've been yeah. very happy. Excellent. Sounds good. So, um, you know, one of the things I've seen, um, you know, Christina, with people making products is this whole approach to balancing this whole thing that I call as the you know, balance between creativity and productivity. Um, so hiring a coach and using, you know, things like a Pomodoro timer, a cube timer is a great way of uh, keeping ourselves productive. But, you know, I, I came across this article long back in uh, the Harvard Business Review, and uh, which talks about this whole, create, what I call it as a creativity paradox, essentially, which means you can't get, uh, you can't, ha- you know, have, get both creative and productive at the same time. So how do you really manage to uh, strike this balance uh, with your everyday work and life? That's so strange. I mean, just that you'd have to pick between being creative and being productive um, is is unimaginable to me, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first we have the problem of what do we even mean by being creative? Um, isn't being creative mean that you're creating things that are um, important to your goals? And isn't that also the definition of being productive, making things happen towards your goals? Um, I don't know. Um, For me, I do know one thing, and this was one of the big lessons from working at Zynga. So when I worked at Zynga, it was a very special moment in time. Zynga had had a very big hit, which was Farmville, mm-hmm. um, but it hadn't had its next big hit. And I, I started basically exactly when Cityville launched, which was its other big hit. And it was a good game when it first launched. Mm-hmm. It really was. Um, 
And all these game designers were coming to work at Zynga, people who'd made the most amazing, fun games. And they came to Zynga because they wanted to play with this new medium. They wanted to make truly social digital games. It was very exciting. Mm -hmm. And looking back on hindsight, we're sort of like shaking our heads, going, oh, this won't end well. But mm -hmm. um, but these amazing creative uh, artists, really, came to Zynga in order to make great games, social games. And then what happened is... Um, the way Zynga was set up is they compensated everybody as if they were salespeople. Mm -hmm. So every quarter, your numbers would be looked at, whether you were a creative person or a business person, no matter an engineer, and you would get bonus based on how your numbers were doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Pink's drive, mm -hmm. but what happened is at Zynga, they moved extrinsic motivation, in other words, the joy of making something wonderful, into intrinsic motivation, making something in order to make money. And what happened is the creative people just sort of shut down. They could still make stuff, but whatever that spark is, that thing that leads you to make something really extraordinary, mm -hmm. kind of faded um, after, quarter and after quarter would go by and they weren't getting their intrinsic motivation. They weren't getting the bonuses mm -hmm. because as the creativity died, the bonuses died, and it was really hard to get back to just the joy of making games. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think about that a lot. I think about that a lot. So when I sit down, for example, to work on the book I'm, I'm working on now, which is about drawing, um, it started last year. Uh, because of a scheduling mishap, they had to cancel a class mm -hmm. uh, called Play, of all things, at CCA. And my coach said, why don't you take that six hours and use it for something just for you? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well... I've been wanting to make a little book for drawing for my students. I think I'll just work on that. And so Wednesday was now the day I worked on it. And I wasn't saying I'm going to have a best-selling book. I wasn't saying I'm going to, you know, I just wanted to make something and follow the joy of making it. Mm -hmm. But I also set aside six hours every single Wednesday, and I would show up like it was a job, except there was no pressure to have a result um, or a successful result. There was definitely mm -hmm. pressure to have a result. I wanted to make this little book. And I made it. I got it out by UX Week. Um, I sold a bunch of copies. I gave away a bunch of copies. People loved it. I got a ton of feedback. And just like a lean startup book, now I'm turning it into a real book. But mm. I, the creativity was made a combination of time and play. Um, six hours, all of my own, to follow my nose. As long as I kept working, I knew that I was doing the right thing. And then at the end of it, I was like, okay, now I'm going to turn it into a real product with proper margins. And mm -hmm. I'm finishing the last page today. So hopefully it will be sent out to the copy editors and, and be in the market. So this is always the struggle. How do you protect the time mm. and protect the motivation so that you have the space to wander, to get lost? But then how do you put a fence around it so that you know – um, now it's time to do the other half of the project. Um, and it's, it's, it's what you said, it's, it's a balancing act. Um, and it's hard for me because sometimes I just have to respect that things will take longer than I expect them to, which always drives me crazy. But mm -hmm. if you talk to any game designer, one of the things I learned also at Zynga is um, you can set a deadline, but if the game isn't fun by then, you do not want to ship that game. <laughs> so <laughs> People always yeah. wonder why are games so late. Yeah. It's because you don't ship games that aren't fun. So you kind of yeah. have to stick with it until it becomes whatever the thing is that it's going to become. Mm -hmm. And then when all you're doing is, you know, correcting the spelling or 
cleaning up the sound, then you can set timelines on it. So, yeah, I guess that's how I find the balance. Beautiful, beautiful. I, I think you you nailed it really nicely. So, um, so. Alright, I hope you've been enjoying this conversation and listening to it carefully because this was one of the conversations that I had uh, close to a month back or even more because uh, with Christina, this is one thing that I realized, you know, as we got in talking uh, for that one hour that we were chatting, this conversation got really interesting. Uh, there are a couple of reasons behind that. One is because I started uh, I started embarking on a project which I'm currently trying to get my arms around. And this was extremely important because I have been struggling with managing my time. And uh, right, like she talks about uh, in this episode, it's so fatal to try uh, accomplishing an activity if you do not have that kind of a mot- motivation that she talks about. And also, you need to have the other kinds of fences as she calls to uh, to safeguard you from not going over it especially when you're working all by yourself so i think i really derived a lot of value from this episode and um, yeah i've been trying my best to uh, work on my project which is going to be out uh, in another 10 days from now and i really really hope that you also get to benefit from this conversation you stay tuned for the next episode where we continue talking about the product mindset with christina watke and also she talks about what she things is the future of products and how these professions of product management and design are going to look like in five years from now if you're interested in in changing roles or continuing or jumping into a role shortly all right that's all i have for today if you really like listening to these episodes please subscribe to the podcast you can head over to designyourthinking.com slash itunes if you're using an apple device or designyourthinking.com slash stitcher if you're using an Android device or just go to the website and you can listen it right then and there. All right. And if you want to know what project I'm working on, jump onto my newsletter. Do that by heading over to designerthinking.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page. You'll find a place where you can um, type in your first name and your email address. Do that. And uh, I will keep you updated as it comes out. It's actually undergoing a beta right now. And I would love to share it with you if you and see if you're interested. Thank you so much for listening. Until I see you in the next episode, stay tuned, stay inspired. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Design Your Thinking podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter at www.designyourthinking.com.